0: morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a day such as today where we could gather um, to worship you, Lord, um, where we could sing truth that has the power to flood our souls with rich affections and to move us to a place of worship, not just with our words, but with our very lives. God, I pray that would take place um, through the course of our time together. Um, God, would you Open your word to us, God. Um, Would you speak powerfully and mightily through your word? Um, God, the richness of this text, it grips me. God, I pray it would grip us the same. God, you know where I am. (laughs) God, you know where my heart is. Um, God, you know where my mind is. God, I pray that you would lock my heart and my mind into this moment. Um, As an act of faith, God, would you lock me into this moment Um, for you are worthy to be praised. All this we lay before you, God, Um, our fears, our aspirations, our insecurities, our hopes, our frustrations, God, we lay it all before you. God, I just step into this space with people from home, who are looking for answers. God, would they see you? Would they see the church? Oh, God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Good morning, John said. Muchi Ukebu from Miami. Excited to be here with you guys. Um, It's cool to look out, see familiar faces, faces I haven't seen in a while. Um, Faces from home in South Florida, It would be um, an understatement to say that it's been a week. It's been one for sure. Um, And honestly, there is this sense still which I'm overcome with some emotions, but prayerfully God would kind of push through all of that so that we could hear from him and not necessarily just overt passion or things of that nature. If you have a Bible, Romans 16 is where we're going to be. It's one of my favorite text in all of the scriptures, it is saturated with just richness, with truth, um, with things that God wants to flood our hearts, um, with, um, and again, like I said, there, there is a sense to which there's still a presence of just overt and honestly, a lot of just emotions in my heart, um, and it's probably, you know, we, we, we we're here because we, we fled, um, and there's that sense to, man, did I abandon people, um, by being here, um, God, why have I been preaching? She'd just be locked in a room someplace, sackcloth and ashes, and praying that she would just be merciful. Um, but but one of the beautiful things that God does is He He allows us to be face to face with our humanity. And I think that it's in these moments of mortality where we where we're confronted with our own mortality that God brings us face to face with our humanity. Man, like. And it doesn't have to just be tragedy, although for me that came very real in the last week where we're driving and it's like standstill traffic on the turnpike and then you just kind of see this line extending um, at the Fort Pierce exit. My wife reaches over, she grabs my, my hand, we, we start to weep a little bit because we're like, man, like people are hurting and they're scared and they're terrified and it's tragic because they could die. They could die in this moment, and they, they notice, and they're, they're face to face with their mortality. But it's not just tragedy that brings that out. It's tender moments as well. Um, like I said earlier, when John brought me up here, which was a little weird, but amen. Um, and so um, my daughter, she just turned seven, and I remember it like it was yesterday when she was born. And she came out, like, nasty, <laughs> looking like an alien. Um, but, like, we locked, we locked eyes, and it was just this... This, this flood of emotions in my heart, just how precious she was. And just this idea that, man, I just want to be there with you through all the moments of your life where, you know, these knuckleheads are going to try to get at you um, because you're not always going to look like an alien. You're going to be beautiful. You look like your mom. Amen, right? And so, so yeah. And, 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 and honestly, in that moment, even feeling like, man, I want to be with you forever, there was a sense to which I knew, man, there's going to be a time where I'm not going to be there like prayerfully, like you're going to bury me and I won't have to bury you, so I won't be there forever. So, so I was face-to-face with my mortality, even though it was a tender moment. And what, I'm, what I want us to, to just feel together is that those moments where we're face-to-face with mortality are regular and necessary opportunities for us to encounter God. Like, like when we are face-to-face with our mortality, the reality that we are human That is a necessary opportunity to encounter the one who is not, who's God. I think um, a theological beast of old hits it on the head when he says this, man is mortal, that is his fate. We're we're humans. We have a definite beginning and we have a definite end. But he, he keeps going. He just absolutely crushes us. He says this, man pretends not to be mortal, that is his sin. And I like that. I think, and I really think, it just sets up our text today. Because in those moments of mortality, and we're face to face with our humanity, it also shows us the ways that we try and replace our humanity. That we try to run from our humanity. To try to exchange our humanity, and we try to become God. That's that's our ten- that is the default lane that we run in. It is to exchange God's place with our own. It is to try and remove the humanity that God has given us and try to become deity shows up in the way of creating our own rules by which we want to live by. It shows up by assuming a place of authority, a place where you are the sole determiner of things of joy, of things of purpose, of things of truth. We all do it. But but it is it is an extension of sin in our hearts. Nonbelievers and Christians have it. And for the Christian, the residue of sin shows up regularly in our attempts to usurp God, to push him from a place of central in our life to peripheral at best. And he says, that, that's sin. That's sin, but he, he, he keeps it going. He says, man is a creature of time and space who's perspectives and insights are invariably conditioned by his immediate circumstances, but man is not merely the prisoner of time and space. He touches, he touches the fringes of the eternal. And the more one understands about the eternal, the more one understands how eternal the eternal is and how finite the finite is. God in these moments allows us not just to touch the eternal, but to take hold of it. To take hold of him. Uh, practically, for me, I, I am part of six million plus who anybody really would oppose in South Florida who, who were trembling and, and shaking and bending to nature. God doesn't bend to nature. Nature bends to God. Does that make sense? We see that with Jesus, peace be still, storm. So it's an opportunity to take hold. Of that which is eternal, that which is God, that which is not me. And to push deep down and put to death that which is in me that rises, that wants to take his place. And the reason why I start like this in view of Romans 16 is Romans 16 is a doxology. That word means gourd of glory. Doxa, glory, weight, logos, word. In other words, it's a call to worship. It's a praise if you will. And and it's not just statements of truth. You see them all throughout the scriptures. Paul loves them, has one in Ephesians, has two in Romans. And with each one, God is trying to draw us to a place where we have a posture of worship in view of who God is. But it is hard to give God worship when you think that you are worthy of receiving it. And all of our adventures of humanism where we want to be God show up as us just trying to receive praise, receive worship. And God like, no, 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 there's only one who is worthy of that. That's why Romans 16 closes to the only God wise. And it, it pushes at the tension within our hearts. Furthermore, the text brings out this, this call to fall in line with the will of God. And when you are Living out a humanistic worldview or from a humanistic heart, you don't want to fall in line with God's will. You want God to fall in line with yours. And so there's much tension that this text wants to press into in our hearts, but we have to understand who we are. Left to ourselves, we will give in to the residue of sin in our hearts that seeks to usurp God, to replace him with self. I don't want that for us today. I think God in his mercy has given us an opportunity to see him, to see him exalted, to see him as beautiful, to see him as worthy of being taken hold of. So let's do that. We'll get to work. I just want to unpack the scope of what Romans 16 is talking about and prayerfully would bring us strength to worship. Let's get to work. Read with me. Romans 16 says this, 25 through 27. Now unto him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. The proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith. If you have a Bible and you like to write in your Bible, just kind of underline um, that right there. We're going to spend some time with it. Uh, To advance the uh, obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, 27, it closes, to the only wise god through Jesus Christ to him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever amen god's word it's a doxology a word of glory intended to call us into worship to Call us into praise. Whenever you see a doxology and it wants to draw you into worship, it draws you into worship by directing your attention to a particular attribute about God. Jude. Now onto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless in the presence with great joy. That's a doxology. He's drawing attention to God's keeping ability. See it in Ephesians. Now onto him who's able to do far more exceedingly and we like to quote that one, right? He's drawing attention to God's capacity to do what seems to be impossible. Same here. Now onto him who's able to strengthen you. He's drawing attention to God's ability to strengthen. As a sidebar. I like this because it gets at the heart of worship, which is right information and not just instrumentation, right? And if you're like me, you know, especially if you're kind of like in that minority vein, you, you need like that. Give me that guitar a little bit. Give me them keys. Drop it. You know, and then, then I can worship. Or, yo, like, give me the acoustic. And then at the right time, drop all of the music and just voices. Every church does it. And that's when we worship. No. It's right information. It's the truth of who God is that pulls us to a posture where we say, now unto him, be able. Does that make sense? So he's directing our attention to something profound about God, namely his ability to strengthen. But the way he strengthens is pretty awesome too. Now unto him who is able to strengthen you through the gospel. Now, everything else is an unpacking of the gospel. 25 through 26 is Paul unpacking the gospel. Really it could be not unto him who is able to strengthen you through the gospel to the only wise God be glory forevermore. Because everything between, everything sandwiched between this doxology is just the gospel, the gospel, the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Central to the gospel is the person and work of Jesus. It's God's redemptive plan from eternity to pull from all peoples a people for his glory for his name. The gospel, the mystery, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed. When the Bible speaks about the gospel in terms of the mystery of God, one, it talks about that redemptive plan for eternity that Jesus going to a cross was plan A. It was how God intended to do things to display his love and his power and his grace and his justice. It talks about the union that he wants to have with people. So in Ephesians, you get this picture that he starts to unpack, like the relationship between a husband and a wife and how they're to love one another and serve one another and to submit to one another and to care for one another. And then Paul says, I'm not even talking about marriage. I'm talking about how God wants to interact with the church, the gospel. But then you also get, which is really emphasized in this text, the reality that the gospel is for all peoples that it's Gentiles and Jews who get together to display the profound unity that God brings about through the gospel, no exclusions, all ethnicities, all peoples, the mystery of the gospel. And then he gets to that back end, that to bring about the obedience of faith. We're going to talk about that in mass later. But that's the, it's the gospel. This is what he said. He says that God has the capacity, the ability to strengthen you through the gospel. Not anything else. Through the gospel, he brings strength. Now, there's a couple of things that that naturally brings to the surface. One, God's ability to strengthen assumes a presence of weakness in people. Weakness is core to humanity. We're weak naturally. We have need regularly. And when we have need, our natural tendency is to go out and meet that need. I'm thirsty. Give me the Sprite. I'm hungry. Give me Snickers, unless you've seen What the hell, right? And uh, give me the vegan Snickers. We don't eat salads here. That's why y'all are all swole. Amen. And so, But there's layers. We don't have layers in Miami, so you got to. That's why I have my amen. But we naturally go out to meet needs when we feel them. So we we have weakness, but we have spiritual weakness. We don't in and of ourselves have the capacity to fall in line with who God is and what God would have for us. Therefore, we need supernatural external strength to come in us and on us. Now unto him who's able to strengthen you to provide that. This is what God does. He gives strength to his people. But the way he does it is profound. It's not necessarily that he does it by eliminating weakness. No, 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 Rather, he, he often does it by empowering you in the midst of weakness. So the same guy that wrote this wrote another letter in the scriptures, 2 Corinthians twelve nine, And in there, you have this, this expression of Paul's heart where he's like, yeah, yeah. Man, I, I had this thorn in my flesh, this presence of weakness that was on me regularly and I prayed, and I asked God to take it away, multiple times God looked at me, said, no. Rather, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength made perfect in your weakness. Listen to me. I tell this to our church all the time. If this is true, that there's weakness in us, but it's but, but, but God knows it. He doesn't always eliminate it, but he empowers us. If this is true, then we need to view weakness not as a liability, but as an opportunity to experience and receive the grace of God to strengthen us. Does that make sense? The only time weakness for the Christian becomes a liability is when we try to hide it. When we parade as if we have the capacity to will ourselves to do what we want to do. when We try and approach our weakness as if it's God's fault as opposed to God's design to keep us at that place of humanity where he could show up on the scene as divinity. Let me strengthen you. Now unto him who's able to strengthen you through the gospel. Does that make sense? Weakness becomes an asset when viewed in light of God's ability to strengthen through the gospel. That's how he strengthens us. But how he strengthened us is is magnified. It's lifted up. It's seen more excellently by understanding what he's strengthening us for. The why. The why removes God's strengthening from this like self-help therapeutic type deal to this Vicious, ferocious force to accomplish something. That's why I had you underlined it. According to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever, amen. So most commentators would agree that this becomes a summation of everything Paul was talking about in the letter of Romans. So if you look at the beginning of Romans, Romans chapter one, verse five, looks exactly like Romans 16, 25 through 27. I'll read it, it's good. He says this, through him, we have received grace, and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. So what, he, what, he, what he's getting at is, I am bookending the unpacking of the gospel by why God has given you the gospel, which is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. God didn't save People to shelve them. He saves people. He redeems people. He brings them into relationship for the sake of his name among all peoples, expressed in the obedience of faith, the sake of his name. Now, whenever you see throughout the scriptures this idea of name, it's not merely what you call somebody, but it's their character. It's who they are. So when you see in the story of God, him naming himself, it's a big deal. You have Moses. Weak, frail, fearful Moses called by God to go back and redeem the people of Israel. And he's like, yo, well, who am I going to tell them is sending me? God says, well, I am. Gives him his being. First is sending you. We sung it, the great I am. But then he builds that out to give him his name, Yahweh. The eternal one who will always be the God who is God alone, who is filled with steadfast love and mercy. That's who's sending you, Moses. Your name. And then you see God build that out throughout the rest of the scriptures. I'll give you another one that I like. It's found in Isaiah. It reads like this. 42.8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. Lord, all caps, Yahweh, covenantal who I am, who I will always be, flexing, steadfast, love, and mercy faithfulness, and justice. This is who I am, and my name is tied to my glory. I want who I am to be seen and felt everywhere. Now, until is able to strengthen you to bring about that for the sake of his name, to be glorified, to be glorified. Now, when we think of glorified, it's a very Christian word often, but when God means to be glorified, it's different than the way that we use it. We use glorify the same way that we use beautify. So, something is dirty, dress it up. There's dirt on the floor, pick it up. Make it look good. That's not what it means to glorify God. God is already beautiful. It doesn't mean to dress him up. It means to display who he is. It means to magnify. So you have a telescope, and what it does, it magnifies something so you can see something more clearly. Same thing with microscope, And that's what it means to glorify God. It's to make who God is be seen clearly. And what he says is that brings about worship, but then he ties it to the obedience of faith. Let me give you a long definition and then a short definition. The obedience of faith is the faith that leads to the willful, gladful surrender to the will of God in your life. That's the obedience of faith. He builds that out. To bring about the right response to who God is everywhere, the obedience of faith. Here's a problem. If we remove that second part of that definition, it's faith that leads to faith then what you get is just works and this burdensome type of Christianity where you're trying to do the impossible without the strength of God. But what you see at the beginning of Romans, which is why this is bookend, is apart from the law, there's this righteousness that's revealed in the gospel to bring about faith for faith. So the gospel, like, it brings faith. That shows up in the willful and glad surrender to the will of God In our lives. The obedience of faith, which is what he's after. Long definition, short definition. The obedience of faith is believing the gospel. It's believing the gospel. The scope of who God is and what God has done, captured through the gospel. It's believing that for the first time and then every day after that to come back to Grace, to come back to who God is, to come back to strength. Now I want who's able to strengthen you, to come back to faith. He supplies it if you ask to come back to wisdom. It's believe in the gospel every day. And that belief in the gospel, belief in who God is, belief in how God has designed things to be, displays his greatness. The obedience of faith displays the greatness of God. All my parents know this. We all know it. That's why when you're in public and your kids start acting up, you're like, man, you're making me look bad. Wait till we get to the bathroom, right? Just saying, we spank. Not just time out. Don't play that. Because we know that public displays of obedience that you have those parents. Yo, How do you parent so well? And you say, well, I'm a Christian, so i use the Bible. We're just really, you tap them, you know what I'm saying? But, but they come up, you're like, yo, like, what are you doing? Di-? That's the obedience of faith. It displays the greatness of God. Why do you follow God's design for marriage and sexuality? Well, because in Psalm 16, he says that you've carved out the paths of life and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if I follow the paths God's have carved out, what is going to lead me to is pleasure and joy. That's why I obey in faith. Does that make sense? It's an expression of love, but it's a display of his faithfulness and who he is, and it brings him glory. Now, him is able to strengthen you for the sake of his name and the obedience of faith. That's the why. He would be seen. He would get glory, and we would find tremendous gladness and joy. Let me start to land this plane with the how. That works out a little bit more. I like it. Talked about it a little bit earlier. He talks about the gospel. It brings us strength. That's what God uses to to, to make us strong. And we talked about that, that strength often doesn't even look like the elimination of weakness, but it looks like empowerment through weakness. That's one way the gospel gives us strength. The other way that it gives us strength is endurance. The gospel provides a hope of a glorious future. A hope that's not kept far away, but a very present hope. Found in relationship, you could endure. You could endure. This is why in Hebrews, the author will say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Run with endurance. Cast off every sin that so easily entangles you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And as we saw earlier, the proclamation of Jesus is central to the gospel. Fix your eyes on who Jesus is and how he expresses who he is and what he does as you endure. empowers us. It empowers us. Here, it means that we can say yes to the will of God in our lives. Which oftentimes looks like saying no to sin in our lives. That's gospel strength. Before God comes in and gives you strength, you don't have the capacity to say no or yes to God. Can't say yes to him, can't say no to sin. The gospel comes in, frees us shows us the one who's freed us, and then gives us power through the Spirit to say yes to who God is and his paths and no to the sin that shows up in our lives. Let me talk about this a little bit. Generationally, we're in a season where I just feel like, I talk to a lot of Christians, specifically in Miami, but the more I talk to Christians elsewhere too, I'm like, man, this, is, this just seems like a stronghold or something around Christians nowadays where a lot of Christians are just bored, just bored, and you approach the things of God like blah. Man, I just, I'll i come to church every now and then, ah, read my Bible, try to get to know them, yeah, sure, Maybe. And there's this general sense of apathy concerning the things of God. And what that reveals is there's a lack of power in our lives. There's a lack of strength from God through the gospel to be pulled into something that's ferocious, which is to pursue him and the sake of his name. Not this apathetic Like, I'm just kind of lingering and then meandering my way through this thing called Christianity in hopes that one day God will make sense of all of this. No, no, no. It's this pursuit that is filled with power that has a clear aim and target, the sake of his name, that people would know him and be pulled into paths of joy, that I would experience that same joy in the way that I obey in faith. Maybe the boredom that we experience, and if i'm if you're like that's not me, amen, save it. Maybe the boredom that we experience is because we're living lives that don't need the strength of God at all amen. Amen. but now unto him is able to strengthen you through the gospel for the sake of his name and the obedience of faith gospel strengths it it, it, it It gives us the ability to endure. It it empowers us. But it also assures us of his presence. Matthew 28, I'm with you through the end of the age. Joshua 1, God is calling Joshua to be strong and to be very courageous to go and do what God has called him to do. And what he does in that call to be strong in Given him strength. He says, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. The presence of God provides great strength. I've need, I, ooh, <laughs> I have needed that this week. Constantly having to remind myself that what God doesn't protect us from, he will preserve us through with his presence. And there I could find strength To not have my mind wander to the worst-case scenarios all the time. To not be distracted by my inability and my lack of power. But to be focused and locked fully on the one who has power and who can strengthen you, now unto him who is able. Does that make sense? Let Let me land this plane. 27 says this, again, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory Forever and ever, amen. I like this because there's no confusion on who's worthy. There's none. Confusion on the worth of God doesn't start with God. It starts with us. If if we're confused about God's worthiness, that is a sign that there's great sin in our hearts, That is keeping us from seeing God for who he is. And God is ambitious about seeing, being seen for who he is, and then being delighted in who he is. And in this doxology, the delight is supposed to flow from God's ability to strengthen people. God gives strength. God gives strength. Strength God gives strength, and in doing so, He says something profound about who He is. We want worship, we want to be seen as worthy. and you know how we oftentimes do that, especially amongst minority communities, especially in the city where I'm at right now. We try and elevate our worth by tearing other people down. So we try to magnify our greatness on the backdrop of how broken other people are. I don't sin like that. We do that regularly. It is the go-to method of securing worth for yourself. It's to make someone else look bad. It's tied to the human race. We've done it from generations. But look at how amazing God is. Look at how strong he is and how secure he is where he's not intimidated by making people strong. So you have this story with Gideon. I like it. It's sort of my favorite in the Bible. It's found in Judges. You know the story of Gideon. In the book of Judges, you have these people, judges who are raised up to do the will of God. People cry out in their sin, repent. God hears. He's faithful. God raises up a judge. Go deliver my people. And you get this one judge who's full of fear, saturated with weakness. Angel the Lord appears to him, mighty man of valor. Gideon wasn't that. He was anything but that. When the angel appeared to him, he was actually hiding trying to escape. I could feel that right now. God still appears to him in grace and mercy. You're gonna deliver my people. Gideon amasses for himself an army. It's really the Lord who does it through him. Here's what God says to him, Judges 7-2. The Lord said to Gideon, ah, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength has saved me. Get that? Situationally, God is, this is the trend of all descriptions. That's why Second Corinthians was powerful. Situationally, God is working things out where you are in need of strength so he could step in, gives you strength so that you're not confused about who is God and who isn't. And because of that, what he shows us is that he magnifies his glory by making the weak strong. That when he comes in and he strengthens and empowers people to pursue him in faith, to say yes to the right things, no to the wrong ones, to collectively cry out how great God is. When he does that, there's no confusion. In their hearts, they know. In their hearts, we know that unless God comes in and provides the strength, we're helpless and hopeless. But God, desiring to be seen for who he is, delights in displaying and magnifying his greatness by giving you strength. Do you want it? Do you need it? It's here. It's the offer to receive And believe the gospel for the first time. And again. And again. And again. And again. To find strength. Situationally. And forevermore. That he will be seen. Now unto him who is able to strengthen you. Through the gospel. Father. I pray. Through. Through the truth of the text God that we would just meditate on it God lest we try and pigeonhole all of that into a small situation God would we meditate on the difference between you and me exemplified by my regular presence of weakness and your regular ability to provide strength oh God keen we need it, we know it, and if there's fear that keeps us from asking for help and strength in you, God, would we find courage in the truth that weakness is an asset, when we allow it to be an opportunity for you to strengthen. Now unto you, Jesus, who is able to strengthen us through the gospel. To you, wise, keen, be glory forevermore.